Good morning. Good, I got a response. If you guys don't know me, I am Chris Marriage. Um, I think most of you at least know who I am or have met me and got to know me so far. Um, I'm the new discipleship pastor here, so I've been here a few weeks now, so still pretty fresh. Um, so be gracious to me and kind. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it's been great to be here the last few weeks and to just to be part of this life. You know, we've kind of seen what's going on. We've been preparing for this move. And we're just, my wife and I are excited to be here and excited to see what God is doing in our midst here at Timberline Baptist Church. So as we begin, I have a question for you. What is true love? Or you might say, what is real love, genuine love? There's a lot of ways to say it, but what is true love? That's a question that really, that fascinates the world, isn't it? I think if you're in my generation, mid-30s, when you speak of true love, our minds probably wander to a 1987 classic movie. And I see some people already having their heads nod. They know exactly what I'm talking about, the Princess Bride. And there we have a quest for true love. Uh, a man pursues his, his true love through thick and thin, unimaginable hardships, and she awaits as best she can. And in that movie, we learn from an old man that true love is the greatest thing in the world besides a nice mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. Um, so he might not be exactly right on that, but... Uh, you understand, true love is something that fascinates our culture. And so when I did a quick search of true love or what is genuine real love, one website I found actually had 16 characteristics. And if I kept searching, I could probably find a list of four, one, two, 20, 30. Who knows how many we could go through. I'm going to quickly read these 16s because I think it's interesting to think about how we characterize love as a culture and how certain people do. And before I read these, I just want to say that this is not an endorsement. You will, you'll see that and hear that. Um, some of them actually aren't too bad. Some of them, not so great either. So first, love means saying goodbye to expectations. Love doesn't play the victim card or blame others. Love includes letting go. Love doesn't require you to continue a relationship. Love has no room for jealousy Love is the absence of fear. Love is not needing, but wanting. Love is an action, not just a feeling. Love is unconditional. Love means putting other people's needs equal to or before your own. Love is the highest vibration emotion that there is. I'm just going to pause and say I have no idea what that actually means. Um, I don't know what an emotional vibration is. Maybe I'm just ignorant, but uh, not really actually that concerned about it, so... <laughs> Um, next, love requires attention. Love understands and accepts differences. Love varies in how it is expressed and accepted. Love makes you feel good, not bad. And finally, love has empathy. I wonder, did you resonate with some of those? Did you hear some of those and think, that's not right at all? I wonder how you would define true love. Genuine, real love. Well, today we're actually going to learn about love, but, but God's love for us and our love for God. And we're going to be doing that from Deuteronomy 6. So if you want to begin turning there in your Bibles, um, if you don't have a Bible, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, we have Bibles in the, underneath the chairs in front of you. And if you open that one, it'll be page 168 to make it easy for you. Um, page 168, we'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
So when I read that list, I wonder how you thought and what you thought of those characterizations of real love. Were they good? Were they bad? Were they somewhere in between? Would you add some? Would you subtract? Would you throw the whole list out? Well, today we're going to learn about what God thinks of true love, how he characterizes it. So if you'd stand as we read God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly. As the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. When You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face, from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We are Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to all these statutes to fear the Lord our God. For our God always that he might preserve us alive as we are on this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all his commandments before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. Amen. You may be seated. If you would pray with me once again. Lord, as we come to hear your word, we pray that our hearts would be open to hear what you have to say. Things that are not always easy for us to take and to receive. Lord, as our flesh and the world battle against us, 
as they try to make it hard for us to believe your words, to listen to you. I pray that we would hear today your words. They would change us and transform us. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to start out today with one characteristic of love. To love is to listen. And I wonder what you thought as we read this passage. I started out with this introduction about true and genuine love, and then you read this passage, and love is mentioned, but what's mentioned a lot more is words like commandment, statutes, rules, obey. But what we're going to find out is that it is all about love. So in verses 1 through 9, we, we need to start by setting up the scene. We're, we're jumping into the middle of a book here. So Moses, you remember Moses, Moses is the one that God has chosen to lead his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. Well, not actually into the promised land, because on his way, Moses sins, and God says, you're not going into the land, so he actually leads them up to the promised land. And Deuteronomy is a book that is, the scene is they're at the edge of the promised land, and Moses is preparing the people to go in as he prepares for his ministry, his life to end and take possession of the land that God has promised them, has promised them for generations to have. And as we read this, this passage, especially these first verses, what, what might stick out to us is our verses 4 and 5. Outside of the words of, you know, we see in the first few verses, obey, rule, statutes, sounds very wooden, but we come to verse 4 and 5 and we, we come to some of the most important verses in the Bible, some of the most known. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Do those sound familiar? Do you know those verses? Um, Many Jewish people will recite them daily, I think even maybe twice a day. It's called the Shema, which means hear. Hear, O Israel, comes from the first word. But even more importantly than the Jewish people who hear and know this. We probably know it because we've all, a lot of us have been in Sunday school and been taught about the greatest commandment. Jesus says that this here is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and might. And he even goes on to say that there's another verse in Leviticus, in the book just before this, that says, love your neighbor as yourself. And those two verses, Jesus tells us, The law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament, depend on those two commandments. When we are studying this passage, we must start here. We must start particularly with the fact that it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God is saying, I am one. When, when it says Lord, it's not just a, a Lord. It's, it's the name for God that God has given his people through Moses. It means I am, the great I am. It, it's the name that many Jewish people won't even pronounce today. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. He is unique. He is the one who is, who exists on his own. God is distinct. God is God. And as we read this passage, we will learn God declares that. And he says, there are no other gods. Those other gods don't worship them. They're not real. I am the one. I am your God and you are my people. So we have to start there because that is a very foundational point. Why do we listen to God? Why do we hear him? Well, because he is God. 
He is the only God. So we must listen to him. And what does he say here? Well, I wonder what you did think when we read the first few verses, especially, and throughout this passage, when words like commandment, statutes, rules, obey, follow, keep, when you hear those time and time and time again throughout this passage. I wonder what, what, what kind of feelings that conjures up in you. I think many of us would think that that's fine and we're okay with that. But I think if we're honest, our hearts kind of recoil because we don't want to obey God's rules, do we? We don't want to obey him. And if we ask the world what they thought of this, they would say, well, God, the God you are describing, the God you are saying we ought to worship, the God in this passage is a mean dictator and he just wants you to follow these rules and he's rigid. So why does God have all these rules and statutes? Why does he ask of us to hear him and to obey him? Well, one thing he says in this passage is is that it is so that they might fear him. And here the word fear is talking about worship. It's talking about a reverence and an awe for God. If God is the only one, the only God, the one who spoke the worlds into existence, who has given us life and given all things life, then he is to be worshipped above all. Brothers and sisters, this is controversial to so many in our culture, in our society. They don't want to obey God. They don't want to worship Him. But God gives these commandments, not because He wants to be mean, not because He's rude, but because He's actually a loving God. And He has loved us, and He wants us to love Him. And as a a father of a four-year-old, I'm quickly understanding this truth that to listen to God, well, first off, to love God is to listen to God, and to listen is to obey. You see that chain? To love is to listen, and to listen is to obey. Sometimes it can be very difficult to get a four-year-old to obey. Um, I actually am grateful for my child. He tends to be very compliant. We're waiting for the younger one to see how that turns out, because he seems to have a little bit more of his own personality, his own desires, um, a little bit more expressive. So it could be getting a little bit more difficult in the marriage household very soon. Um, We'll see. But when I ask Caleb, you know, Caleb, can you clean up your toys? If you want to get that toy out, put the other one away first. You know, I can see in his life, I can see that there is a sense in which when he's listening to me, that's because he loves me. And when he obeys, it's because he's actually listening. There are those times when you're talking to him and you're like, am I just talking to the couch? Am I talking to just a chunk of wood here? Like, you're not listening to me. But you can tell when he loves you and when he's doing things out of love for you, when he obeys you. And, and, you know, here's the thing, is when I ask Caleb to put up his toys before he gets other toys out or things like that, it's not because I just want to be mean. He might think that at times. That's the world the way the world views God. But it's because God loves us and wants what's best. He wants us to to be conformed into his image, to be like him. He wants us to understand what it means to be holy, righteous, what it means to be loving and compassionate and kind. I think so often we just think too highly of ourselves when we balk at God's commands. When we think that God wants me to obey him? I thought he loved me. 
Well, that's because we think we're better than God. The Lord, the God described here in this chapter, is the Lord. He is Yahweh. He is the great I Am. He is the perfect Heavenly Father, and He doesn't give laws without reason. He gives them for good reasons, to reveal Himself, to help us be formed and shaped in His image, the image that we were made to, His image. What we see is to love is to listen. If we are going to love God, we need to listen to Him. We need to hear Him. And to listen is to obey Him, isn't it? The Bible knows nothing of a listening, of a hearing, without that hearing actually changing and transforming us, making an effect on us. Just like Caleb doesn't really hear me. If I say, hey, Caleb, can you please pick up your toys? And then he runs over and grabs another toy out of the box. Brothers and sisters, if we truly listen to God's word, we will be spurred to love, holiness. We will be convicted of sin. Nothing that God says allows us to stay as we are. It compels obedience, doesn't it? And conformity to him. But when we listen, I wonder, do we listen like Israel did? Oh, if you know the story of Israel, you'll know how they listen. And it's not like I hope my son listens. It's like I dread him listening. (laughs) Because they don't. They don't hear. They don't obey. It doesn't have an effect on them so often. We may listen, but oh, brothers and sisters, we might hear God's commands. We might hear his promises. But we are prone to forget aren't we? Just like Israel. So to love is not just to listen, but it is to remember. And that's what we see, particularly in verses 10 through 19. And as a husband, I know that to love is to remember. I think we all know that and understand that. I know this because if I forget my anniversary, I'm in trouble, right? Um, So that's one small thing. But also, you think about it, if, if I just forgot who Caitlin was or all the things that she does for me, then that love will be fading, won't it? Well, as we read this passage, we see the command to remember. Verse 9, especially, we can go back a little bit. Um, The passage right before kind of transitions into this idea. You know, we see all these commands to put the scriptures everywhere on the doorpost, in front of our eyes, on our hands, you know, everywhere. We see that the Jews eventually would take that very literally, even though it's probably just meant as a metaphor. You have to have that before you always. But this passage tells us to remember, and it warns us to not forget. God is going to bring these people into this land, into his kingdom. He's making a people for himself to steward the land that he's promised to them, and he calls them to obey those words because that is what it means to love. But he knows they will forget. He knows that they will fail him. But what do we remember? What do we need to be reminded of? Well, notice in verse 10 and 11, this is one of the most important parts of the passage, actually. We we begin to see what God is doing here. God is bringing them into a land, and he tells them, I'm bringing you to a land that you didn't have anything to do with. You did not work for this. This is a gift. I'm bringing you into houses that you did not build. I'm bringing you, and they're filled with things that you did not earn, with cisterns you did not dig. 
Did you notice that? Did you see that? As we were reading this passage, did you get caught up in, in command and obey and, and all these things and miss the fact that, that God is calling them to obey, but he's, more importantly, he's giving them something that they do not deserve. This obedience that he's asking of them is, is not earning them the promised land. It's not earning them the gifts of God, is it? He reminds them that all of this is from him. And he says, do not forget. He knows their heart. He knows that they will be tempted to forget and to run to other gods, to their neighbors, who, as we know, are no gods at all. I wonder if you've thought about that, if you ask yourself how easy it is for you to forget things. You know, I've actually noticed in my own life how hard it is to remember things now. You know, how many phone numbers do I actually remember? When I was a kid, I knew all my friends' phone numbers. I grew up before cell phones, so <laughs> we all, I think if you grew up in that generation, you, you remember your friends' phone numbers, you knew a number of numbers. Now I can barely remember my own phone number, actually. If I was going to be brutally honest, directions, I used to know how to get places. Now I'm so used to it. Google, I don't even remember those things. Brothers and sisters, in this culture, in this time, it is so easy to forget. I wonder, what do you do? Do you, do you struggle to memorize Scripture? Do you memorize Scripture? Because that's where we hear God's promises. That's where we hear Him. When we memorize it, it goes into our hearts. It's there for us, nourishing us, even as we go about our day and our lives, that we might worship and rely and trust on Him. This is something that just our elders talked about and discussed was our need to, to be memorizing Scripture. And, and as, as the new discipleship pastor here, I'm excited because we're going through two ways to live and there are Scripture memory verses built into that. Are you memorizing them? Are you taking them and making them your own? And, and as we grow with young families, I wonder, are you taking advantage of your children's minds that might sound kind of odd, but, but children are young and they can remember things in a way that we cannot. I know personally, I could memorize scripture a lot better when I was 10 than when I was 30. And I think we're all that way, aren't we? I know that when I was living in Oregon just recently, working a couple jobs, I would come home, I'd be exhausted. But what a great relief it was when I would come home and realize that my wife had been working with Caleb to, to either memorize his catechism or to memorize passage of scripture that he might know about God and then it might take deep root in his life. Are we doing that? And are we coming alongside each other, encouraging each other in that? Brothers and sisters, we all need to be memorizing scripture. It's, it's a great opportunity to do that with your children, with your spouse, or if you're a part of a table group, Memorize scripture with each other there. And as we go through two ways to live there, it's built in for us. We can't make it any more clear and easy, can we? We must remember.
this passage warns us that if we do not remember, if we do not make it a point to remember God's laws, his rules, that, that we are going to wander off, that we will chase other gods, that our neighbors out there who are worshiping the world and, and money and whatever else they, they want, their own personal freedom, you know, they don't want to be submitted to the Lord. Whatever it is they worship, it will entice us if we're not memorizing, if we're not taking that and making it our own. And as we think about it, though, here God tells Israel, he reminds them, I am bringing you into a land, and I am going to do this for you. I've chosen you out of the nations. I, I've redeemed you from slavery in Egypt. And he's bringing them to a land of, of full of gifts and bounty that they did not earn. He's in reality doing this in spite of them. And this is important for us to remember because as we remember what God has done for us, we should look at this passage so that it can, it can show us and, and tell us what God has done for us. And this passage clearly shows that we don't deserve anything that God does for us. It starts, there, there's a verse that you might have just skipped over. Remind, Moses reminds them in verses 16 and 17 that they tested the Lord at Massah. And I'm guessing as you read that passage, you're just like, oh, they tested the Lord, and, and move on. Or maybe if you have a study Bible, you look it up and try to figure out the context and where it is, if you have the time. But that is referring to a specific time in Israel's history. Israel, well, in 17 it says that they tested the Lord. But to get there, we have to go to 16 first. So in chapter 16 of Exodus, where this is kind of referring to, we see that the people are hungry. They've been led out in the desert. God has freed them from slavery. And they get out in the desert, and what do they start doing? They complain. Do you know what there is not a lot of in the desert? Food. They're hungry. And they worship and are following a God who has done amazing things. He's just parted the Red Sea and brought them out and destroyed Egypt. And they don't think that God can provide food for them. So they start quarreling, getting angry. And, and God, in his great mercy, when you read that passage, there's kind of this tension because it's almost like God is, God is being tested right there already, in a sense. He's, he says, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven on them, actually. And it's a merciful, gracious act. It also seems like the Lord is kind of just bringing it down on them, like, okay, I'll do that for them. Um, so what happens in 17, though? Because what else is there not a lot of in the desert? Probably many, this might be the first thing you guys thought of, water. So now they're, they've had you know, a lot of bread, and maybe it's like a dry cracker or something, so they're thirsty. And they start quarreling with Moses. Moses, Moses, we're thirsty. We're going to die out here. It would be better for us if we were back as slaves in Egypt. Like, can you imagine that? Do you remember the story of Exodus? These people were crazy. They had trouble remembering. They forgot so quick. So then God, in his great mercy, in his grace, provides water for them. He has Moses go up with the elders, and he strikes a rock, and water pours out, and he provides for them again. Oh, but they have tested the Lord. They were hungry, and they grumbled and complained. 
They were thirsty and they quarreled. God is gracious and kind to them, but brothers and sisters, what has God done for us? Well, if we read the story of Deuteronomy, if we read the story of Israel, what we know is that Israel was, was not good at loving God. God did so much for them, and if you read the story of Israel, they are constantly turning from him. They're turning to idols, they're turning to worship other gods. They cannot keep their eye, you know, keep your eye on the prize, the old phrase. They cannot do that. Well, you see what else is important about this passage. is not just that Jesus quotes this telling us about the greatest commandment, but Jesus quotes this passage twice in another passage in the Gospel of Matthew. When we read the Gospel of Matthew, it opens up saying Jesus, you know, the genealogy that sometimes maybe gets a little boring, but it's going from Abraham to Jesus. Jesus, the offspring of Abraham. He was an Israelite. He was one of them. And then he sends his son, Jesus, into Egypt, and then he quotes, Matthew quotes from the prophets about, out of Egypt I called my son. And if you read the original context, it's referring to Israel. Jesus, as a new Israel, is called out of Egypt. And where does he go? He goes into the desert, and he hungers, and he thirsts. And do you know what he does? Satan comes and tempts him, just like Satan was tempting Israel. Satan was trying to say, go, look, look at other gods, complain to God. He is not taking care of you. He is not faithful. Oh, but Jesus wouldn't hear that. Jesus actually quotes two verses from Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, do not put the Lord your God to this. I'm not going to do that, Satan. I'm not going to be like Israel. And he says, I will not worship other gods like Israel. And frankly, the other verse that Jesus quotes is also from Deuteronomy, just a couple of chapters later. This is a very important passage to remember that we have a Savior. We have Jesus Christ who obeyed God. Do you understand that? I'm so grateful for that because you know what? I don't always obey God. I might be a pastor, but that doesn't mean I'm perfect. Far from it. Um, You can ask, I mean, my mom's actually in the audience here, so if you want to go ask her about any time I've sinned, um, she would probably keep you for years and years and years. I have enough family around to to tell you that I'm not a perfect person. Um, That is clear. And frankly, that is not a fear for me because I know all of you are not perfect. Because I know all of you are human, just like me. But we have one who came and did obey. He did not act like Israel. He did not disobey God. He loved God. He listened to God, and he obeyed God perfectly. He always remembered his heavenly Father Brothers and sisters, that is where our trust and our hope is. Because if you see this passage, Israel is brought in by grace. He's, God prepares this land, but he also warns them, obey or I will kick you out of the land if you don't love me. But if we are in Christ, if we've turned from our sins and trusted in Jesus, we can rest assured because it's his obedience that is given to us. And oh, on that cross, he takes our disobedience upon himself. 
Brothers and sisters, Israel rebelled and rebelled, and we have lives that are full of rebellion until we trust in Christ. And then he is our righteousness. He is our obedience, and and he takes that sin, that disobedience, that rebellion upon himself. That is good news. Jesus obeyed for us if we just trust in him and turn. But how often do we forget that? But as we hear this news, it's too good to keep to ourselves, isn't it? And at the end of this passage, we we see that the story ends with, with a call to teach this, to tell others about this. In verse 20, we learn to love is to tell. Moses says, when your sons ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? And you think that it might be easy to say, well, the the rule or the reason why we do this is because God just wants to command us to do things. He wants us obedience. You know, he's he's just kind of mean, and that's the way he is. No, no, that's not what Moses says, though. You shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us through all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Well, brothers and sisters, our obedience is out of a love for what God has done. We can rest in security because Jesus has gone before us and has won eternal life for us. And as our lives change because we obey God and we hear his commandments and we live our lives in conformity to him, our children might ask us questions. Their friends might ask us questions. Their parents might ask us questions. Are we prepared to say, well, this is just the way I was learned to do it? Or are we prepared to say, God has saved me. He has reconciled me with himself. He has has given me such such eternal life and joy and love in Christ. He has done all this for me in the gospel. And that is why I do things differently. That is why I'm not like that. Are we prepared for that? Are we prepared to give that answer? That's, that's one thing that Peter tells us. Be prepared to give an answer when it comes, when the question comes. We are to tell both our children, our friends and neighbors about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I think about this, I, I think about going back to the wedding analogy. It's sort of like the joy, you know, you, you have a parent, a couple that is in love, and, and they, they remind their children of how they met their spouse and how wonderful they are. You know, you always go back to that time of love. Brothers and sisters, let's remind our children of of the Lord, of, of his grace and mercy that he's shown in our lives. But you know what? This is not just something that we're to do with our own families, our own neighbors. This is something that we do together, isn't it? 
when you read this, this, this context of Deuteronomy is it's in a community. It's in the nation of Israel. Israel is to, to make sure that they are doing this together. We have to encourage each other. We have to be there side by side as we heard Nick talk about today. If you're not a part of a table group, that's a great opportunity to get involved in each other's lives and to let people be involved in your life. And it might be a little weird in the summer because, you know, everything is, schedules are everywhere in the summer, right? Especially if you have kids, they're, who knows where they are. I mean, our table group, we're just trying to get involved and it's already, everybody's scattered everywhere already. But you know what, that's an awesome opportunity if you're not involved in one, to sort of get involved. It's kind of like getting your feet wet before the good push in September when we are going to be pushing them even more. Get your feet wet this summer. Start getting to know the people. Get involved with them. And use it as an opportunity to proclaim what the Lord has done, his redemption, how he saved you from sin. Let's not forget why we live lives of holiness. In this section, Moses reminds the Israelites they're to live a life of love towards God, a life of worship and service to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is our calling too. We're to live lives of holiness, not because we think we can earn heaven, but because he has earned it for us. Because we love him because he first loved us. Oftentimes, I, I, you know, we see Christians think that they need to earn God's favor, don't we? And so often we are probably prone to doing that as well, don't we? We forget the gospel, the grace that is given to us. We start thinking like, I'm not sure if God loves me. I need to do more. Instead of doing it out of love. If you're not a Christian, maybe you've got a bad image of Christianity through people out there who, who try to earn God's favor, and that's how you see Christianity. Christianity is another way of people trying to earn favor with God. Maybe you say, I just, I'm okay. Like, God must love me, right? If you say God's loving, why is he so hard? Well, hear this. Hear the fact that it's not about what we do to earn God's favor. So often our lives might say that, but that is not the essence of Christianity. What is at its core is that Jesus has earned God's favor on our behalf. That is the message that I want you to hear. And if you don't understand that, haven't heard that before, let's talk after church. Come find me. Come find Nick. Come find a friend that you came with and ask about that. Brothers and sisters, as we tell people, let's invite people into our lives, into our home, and as we heard, it's messy. Opening your lives in your home is, is not only physically messy, you know, sometimes company leaves a big mess behind them. There's a lot of plates, a lot of things to, to take care of. Or maybe you don't really have a home where you can invite people to. Just invite people into your life. That is really what hospitality is about. It might mean going out to coffee and telling people about your struggles, asking them where they struggle, and trying to encourage them in the faith. Reminding them of the gospel. Reminding them what it means to love God, to, to listen to him and to obey him and to remember. Brothers and sisters, if we want to be a people who truly love God and love others, we must be a people of God's word. And that means listening to him. That means we must study the scriptures. That means we must come here on Sundays to hear the scriptures 
That means we must get together with each other to, to talk about the scriptures. That means taking notes and saying a couple things coming from the sermon and, and talking about those and unpacking it with others that, that we might allow the scripture to, to get into our hearts. It means that we must strive to meditate, to memorize scripture so we don't forget God's promises, that we don't forget what he's called us to. That means we must tell his word. That means we must tell it to our children, but also to each other, but also to those around us in the world who do not know God's love. Our call is to call people in, that they might know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This chapter makes it clear, if we are to be a people who who hear the one true God and remember what he says, it will raise questions from those in our family, maybe those close to us, but also maybe those who we go to work with on our children's sports teams, the parents around us, wherever it might be. Let's be prepared to share the good news, both with each other and those around us. So I wonder after this passage where that list leaves us, that list of 16 characterizations of true love. Well, I think if Deuteronomy 6 indicates we, we have three here. Love is to listen and it's to remember and it's to tell. It's a much simpler list. And, and we know that some of those are wrong in that list. Obviously, I think if you read the passage or were paying attention, God is a jealous God, isn't he? That's something that the world doesn't understand. But frankly, they ought to. If, if we are gods, if he has loved us and called us, then he ought to be jealous over us. I mean, just think about how we treat our spouses. Are we jealous for their love? If we think that they might be wandering away and falling in love with somebody else, are we jealous? Do we care? Because it's not actually really love if we just allow somebody to wander off, is it? But brothers and sisters, this passage makes it clear that the, the culture sometimes is, is grappling with this, but, but we have a clear picture to love is to hear. And Jesus tells his disciples in John 14 several times, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. To love is to hear God, and that means obeying him. It means remembering his promises and what he's done for us. It means trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ and always remembering how God has saved us from our sins. So why would we run back to them? And it means telling others about that very truth. So as we conclude here, I'm going to pray, and we're just going to take a few moments, and we are going to write down a couple things that stand out, that that made an impact from the passage today, from the message, that we can start allowing it to cultivate in us fruit, that the word might bear fruit in our lives. If you'd pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would send your son to live a perfect, sinless life, never once disobeying you, never once disrespecting you, always hearing you, always fearing you, always remembering you, that he never failed to love you with all his heart and soul and might. He never failed to love his neighbor as himself. Father, we pray that that gospel message, 
that if we believe that, it would be transforming and shaping us as we hear your word and are conformed into its likeness, into your likeness. We pray that if any here do not believe, that they would hear the gospel, that you would change their hearts, that you would give them hearts that might hear and know and love you because you first loved them. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.